The majority of older adults, age 65 plus, are planning to age in place in their current long-time homes. However, as we age, the health and physical challenges tend to increase, and without some support or assistance, aging in place can become difficult. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. A report from the Boston Consulting Group indicates that aging in place can be a better experience at an affordable cost than the traditional route through retirement homes. Toward that direction, technology-centered products and services are becoming available to help older adults to remain safely in their homes longer and to provide better peace of mind to caregivers. The RRF Foundation for Aging has the mission of improving the lives of older adults. Supporting developments in technology is an arena they monitor regularly and do support through selective development grants. To explore some of the new developments in technology to assist older adults, we connect with RRF Foundation Senior Program Officer and Director of Research and Evaluation, Dr. Amy Eisenstein. The ideas and the solutions and the issues that are being resolved are tremendous. There's a huge gamut. When I first thought of the word age tech, I'm thinking, well, what? How, how, is, how are we going to use technology to solve social isolation and loneliness, right? That's such a high-touch problem. Um, and we're seeing technological solutions for everything. Are, you going to be see, are we going to be seeing more technological solutions that will solve? It's not a problem, but it's always a challenge because humans like to be around each other. Mm-hmm. And sometimes technology can, so, can be so unforgivingly cold and distant. That's where this notion of the right tech and the right touch is so important. It's not high tech, low touch isn't going to be our solution. It's figuring out the amount of the amount of technology that we need to support our existing services and where does technology where is technology the right tool to support the solutions and where is it not? And when is it the right tool and when is it not? And with whom is it the right tool and with whom is it not? What areas is your foundation looking at thinking there should be more growth, uh, that uh, aging populations are just going to need this a lot more? Give us a couple things that you guys are looking at. Yeah, so we specifically are interested in the priority areas that we focus on. We are not changing our priorities to fit technology. We are focused on areas that have jumped out to us as needing to be needing to be met through research direct service advocacy and training and education those areas are caregiving social and intergenerational connectedness housing and economic security and later life so we're looking for technological solutions in those four areas prior primarily what are some of the things you all have funded and supported the development of um well, so one of the things that I think where we've found that philanthropy can really play a role is to engage entrepreneurs into this field. So where we've funded Matter, which is a healthcare incubator, to run an accelerator program to engage some of the innovators and entrepreneurs into the field of aging. So our um, most recent accelerator program was focused on on companies that are reducing social isolation and loneliness and um, and improving intergenerational connections. Nine companies accepted into the accelerator program who learned about 
reframing aging, who learned about the market, who had opportunities to partner with end users and to partner with um, stakeholders in the field to enhance their products um, and, and really allow them to understand the touch points in the field of aging, what they need to be looking at and thinking through. Um, so stories one that we're really excited about. But you also have a lot of boomers that one retired or were forced to retire and a number of them are looking at becoming entrepreneurs is this a space you think as a as a real end user they ought to look at uh becoming a part of or getting themselves involved with absolutely Um, absolutely we would love to have diversity among the entrepreneurs who are working in this space certainly and perhaps that should be an area that we need to expand and make sure we are working out to engage with more is this an area you, th- you think women ought to look at as well as uh, becoming entrepreneurs there because it, it, it's a growing area which mm-hmm. they can contribute to from a whole entirely different perspective? A hundred percent. And I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I do know with our last round of the accelerator program, 40 to 50 percent were, were we had 40 to 50 percent of the business owners were women um, and a large percent were from uh, BIPOC communities as well. So we're really putting a focus on that um, in terms of the entrepreneurs that we're seeing. Okay, I'm going to ask you again about a couple of other items you may have seen at the Consumer Electronics Show that were exciting and that you can't say that people are really going to finally see them at some point, but it's great to know that the thinking is heading in that direction. The thinking is heading in that direction. The interesting thing, too, is the diversity of the stage the products were in. Some of the products we saw are already out there being sold and bought by businesses and consumers, and some of them were were just ideas. Um, like I said, I think the biggest innovations that we saw were really in um, accessibility. So hearing and vision specifically, there was a lot out there. There are glasses now where you could see Um, a projection of the conversation in front of you right through your glasses. and, and wait, 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 I got on glasses, a projection of the conversation right yeah, in front of the glass. Absolutely. Kind of like, you know, when you're driving the cars now, they have a projection in front of you. So you could see the speed you're going. You could see the conversation in front of you in that same way. Um, I tried on the glasses. It was fantastic. I had a conversation and read in front of me. Because you wear glasses, too. It, it was. It was. Uh, I love Badger, the company. You know, and these are real solutions when Older adults are talking to um, talking to doctors and healthcare providers. Oftentimes, they can't hear, they can't understand. So this is a transcribing the conversation right in front of you. Again, easy to read. Um, an alternative version, instead of putting on glasses or having the glasses, the physician, the clinician can be wearing a badge that transcribes the conversation for you. Um, for for vision, I thought one of the fascinating things, we saw a great presentation where we're looking back at innovations. Over the past 100 years, we've seen amazing innovations in so many areas. If you think through people who are blind, who are visually impaired, 100 years ago, they used a stick to walk around. Today, they use a stick to walk around. So they're coming up with innovations um, where now you could wear like a fanny pack that tells you everything that's around you and with that too i got to try it on and i closed my eyes and walked through the ces exhibit hall with hundreds of thousands of people and booths and felt comfortable
And it's so exciting to see these innovations occurring. Uh, is there still is one of the final challenges getting seniors or older adults to embrace the technology or at least find, get interested enough to find out about it and maybe they might use it in the end? Perhaps that's the way to the, the education part of that for them. I think, well, if, is that one of the challenges, getting older adults to use the technology is, is part of a challenge. There's so much that goes into, I mean, even before we get there, we need to think through all of the ethical situations, the data, what's happening with all of these technologies are collecting data. Um, where's that data going? Where is it being stored? What's in the data? And then a huge thing is trust. And, and do older adults trust the, they need to trust the technology before they use it. Um, so it's part of the bigger challenge. I think we're getting there. I, I see, I see the, the shifts in the cohort as we progress. And I think COVID was really wonderful in terms of getting older adults to use technology more regularly. The statistics today, so many older adults are using it, using it regularly and trusting it more than ever before. And I think we're going to overcome a lot of those challenges quickly. Yeah, because older adults and many adults wait until they absolutely have to have it. They're up against the wall and they don't have any other choice. And then they, oh, well, I guess I have to use this. So we have to get them to do that a little earlier. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. One of the tech projects the RRF supports is the exercise program from Vivo, which helps older adults do strength training online. The executive director of Vivo is Eric Levitin. It is a, an online class that you join via Zoom. So it's something that we've found because of COVID. Uh, There's a much higher level of adoption for older adults. They're comfortable getting on a Zoom call. We just send everybody an email with a big button that says join class. When you push that button in the email, it actually opens up a Zoom window. And there's a live trainer who's waiting. And you have other live participants. Everyone has their cameras on. Nobody's muted. This is a social activity. We cap our classes at eight people so it can be small enough that our trainer can really individualize for everybody. We can correct your form. We can keep you safe. We can modify an exercise if you're experiencing pain or discomfort, or maybe you have a chronic condition, you have arthritis, you can't lift your arm above your head. So if we do an exercise that requires that, we can modify it for you. But the flip side of this is, and this is really the important part is, an eight-person group is really easy to build social engagement and a sense of community because it provides enough space that people can talk and it provides enough space that people can connect. And we actually do these very intentional things that uh, called dual task exercises, which is the simultaneous physical movement and cognitive recall that, uh, and a good example will be, we'll have everyone in the class doing a warm up, and we'll call on someone and say, uh, name as many letters, as many words that you can that begin with the letter B, go, while you're moving. And it sounds silly, it's actually quite challenging because your brain is controlling the movement of your body and trying to recall words that begin with the letter B. And first and foremost, it's silly. It makes the classes light and fun and people laugh and they can't believe that they're struggling with things like this. But more importantly, uh, and, and actually second is it's really good for brain health and cognitive processing and executive function. Um, and, and what's been most impactful for Vivo classes is it gets people talking. And so we'll be very intentional about the questions we ask people. We'll say, what was the most favorite car that you've ever owned? And someone will say, "Uh, 72 Pinto. And someone else in the class will say, I had a 72 Pinto. And then we just kind of step back and let this organic conversation happen where now you've created this connection. 
And people remember that. And this is meaning. And this is what gets people to keep coming back and doing something that they wouldn't necessarily normally do on their own. And it's funny. We have um, what we're doing is online, small group, live and interactive uh, fitness classes focused on strength. And so if you wanted to, you could watch other people. But nobody does. Because as soon as you start exercising, you are focusing on yourself. And so that really goes away almost immediately where those concerns kind of, you know, fall to the side and, and people realize that, A, they can do this, B, it's actually helping them and, and making progress pretty quickly. The human body responds to resistance training really fast and they can do it in a way that feels safe in a trusted environment so they don't feel like they got to keep up with everybody else who's doing this and therefore be embarrassed. You started this or got into this because I think you said your mother had a fall. And so this can probably help people uh, as in the area of fall prevention, too. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and falls are a complicated thing because uh, there's multiple aspects that are, that are going on that contribute to a fall. Uh, it really starts with this um, needing a core foundation of strength in your lower body. Um, there's something called proprioception, which is the brain's ability to connect and understand changes in, in terrain. Often it is a carpet lip or something that's on the floor that causes a fall. Often we're distracted. Some we hear a noise over to the side while we're climbing stairs and, and we lose our balance. So it's a very complicated thing, but the core of it, the root of it is really around lower body strength and making sure that you are keeping your lower body and your core muscles around your lower back and your abdomen and, uh, and your hip flexors strong. And that's a fundamental part of preventing falls. And then we work on everything else. So as it relates to, because we all know, fall, I think the statistic, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but it's close. I think if you, are, if you are a woman over the age of 65 and you fall and break a hip, there's a 40% likelihood that you will be dead within 12 months. And it's an astounding statistic. And it's not the fall that kills them. It is the subsequent um, decrease in mobility that opens you up for a whole host of other potential issues over that following year. And it's a staggering statistic, and it's a staggering cost to the healthcare system. It's somewhere between thirty and fifty thousand dollars every time somebody falls in the cost of the healthcare system. And so this is a big deal. And this is something that people really need to be focused on. And so if you can really focus on your lower body strength, first and foremost, that creates the foundation to be able to address other elements of balance. Many thanks to Dr. Amy Eisenstein of the RRF Foundation for Aging and to Mr. Eric Leviton, Executive Director of Vivo, for being our guest on this edition. Learn more regarding their work online at rrf.org. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch, stay in your game, and many thanks to you as well for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.